we're in a series for four weeks. Uh, this is our third on on basically being thankful, or we call it thanks in a text messaging type of way. And let me just kind of tell you a little bit about that, and then and, and talk about this a little bit because it all kind of is tied together. One of the one of the challenges on my job is when I get to holidays, for instance, Thanksgiving, you know, and I'm preparing and, and so forth. I'm thinking, okay. I always have had this for 30 years. I've had this. Okay, which is Thanksgiving Sunday? Is Sunday before Thanksgiving um, to prepare us for Thanksgiving? Or is it Sunday after Thanksgiving to kind of, you know, reflect back on Thanksgiving Day and so forth? And so as I was thinking about that this year, way back in September, I was thinking, okay, why don't I, actually it's August, I said, why don't I um, just do two Sundays on Thanksgiving? And then I thought, oh, wait a minute, I also want to... Well, let's do a whole four Sundays, what the heck, uh, for all of November. And I started dividing up the different things that we need to be thankful for, and I was trying to tie it in with David's life, because I wanted to do, I wanted to just do some things on David in the Old Testament, because he's just my guy, you know? Don't take that the wrong way. But um, he's just, he's just, he's just, that, he's just so cool. And so in doing so, I started thinking about some of the different chapters of his life. And we've talked about the blessing of, of regrets, failures, um, and, and, sinful failures. Can that be a blessing? We've talked about that. And last week we talked about the blessing of, well, we said difficult people. It's really just jerks, blessing of jerks. And, and, and there's, you know, always never a shortage of jerks uh, in our lives. And then, and then disappointment. And, and as you think about this and you watch that video, it just kind of tears your heart out a little bit. But here's the thing I want you to see. The, the video talks about some pretty heavy-duty disappointments. One of our couples in one of the services earlier, um, I mean, I, we, that's, I, we were ch- we chatted for a long time, uh, and it was real hard for them because this was the anniversary of the death of their child. And so when you talk about disappointment, it's really real to them in that particular context, and all of us can relate to that. But there's another side of disappointment. Talking to another one of our guys, in the, I think after the nine o'clock service, and um, and and I, I won't use names. You'll some of you know who I'm or know the company I'm talking about. But uh, he he's a big dog in this company, a, a finance company, and having to help um, go through some some things this week. He was telling me about it of sitting down with guys because the stock just went about went tanked about fifty percent, and uh, some of the people who were there, some of the people he was dealing with, he's sitting there having to explain to them over a desk. And he told me there were many times I was thankful I had the desk between us, uh, explaining to them that their stocks and their retirement was 50% less than what it was uh, the previous, whatever it was, week or two or month. And, and he said, and you know, when people, and, and this is so true, when people around the country hear, well, this guy is now worth $1.5 million instead of $3 million, or he's worth $5 million instead of $10 million, they're like, oh yeah, big deal. But it's a big deal to him. God knows it is especially when you have plans for that. So when you start talking about disappointments, they come in many flavors and in many sizes. And that's what we have to talk about. And we have to talk about them in the context of these are blessings. And that's counterintuitive. That's, this is not a word, but that's oxymoronish, okay? Or however, it's an oxymoron almost. Um, but you know, here's the thing. I want to say this very clearly. And I got this in red. I didn't say it in the first two services, but you're going to get it, okay? Um, thankfulness and living in thankfulness is depth. Talk about having depth in your life. 
This, this is, it, doesn't get, it doesn't get much deeper than this. Let me just show you that. And I don't care whether you're talking about broken friendships that you thought were lifelong, whether you're talking about a house that I really, really wanted that I couldn't get or maybe had to give up, and you're thinking, well, that's kind of petty, isn't it? Not to that person. Not at that time. Whether you're talking about something that's business-related, as we talked about, or family, just not what you expected, not what you thought. Maybe you're talking about, you know, health. Maybe it's a major issue. Maybe it's just some annoying little issues. Maybe it's kids. That one that just never quite turned out the way you expected. You know, and you just, it's just, it never, he or she never met your, your level of expectations. Maybe it's your marriage. Just isn't, isn't what I thought I was bargaining for, so to speak, when I got married. Um, some things are major blows. Some things may seem like minor blows to others, but they're not minor blows to you. Just unmet expectations. This is what we're talking about. And somebody's going to say, whenever you say that, unmet expectations, somebody's going to say, well, we'll just do away with your expectations. I'm like, really? Is that right? Shouldn't have any vision, shouldn't have any ambition, shouldn't have any drive, shouldn't have any dreams for the future. That's wrong. It's not wrong. So yeah, that's not the example. So, you know, whatever it is, this is, these are the areas that we have to really stop and do some reflection and do some serious thinking about. I, think, I always think of the movie when it comes to disappointments and, and dealing with disappointments and the blessing of disappointments. I always think of the movie, this time of the year especially, uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. You know, the Jimmy Stewart movie, and he's George Bailey in the movie and lives in Pottersville somewhere in New England. We always, you know, I don't know how many times we've watched that, and we watch it every, I think, almost every holiday time. And it's just a great movie because his life seems to be one disappointment after another as he's trying to get out of this little one-horse town to see the world and make something of his life. And, of course, uh, through all his disappointments, he becomes uh, to see that he has, or comes to see that he has a, had a major impact on people uh, after all. They were blessings. In, in spite of the fact that they were disappointments. So, okay, let's jump into this. Let me start with a quote from Henry Nouwen, who I like very much. He's no longer with us, but uh, if you ever see books, he's got quite a few books out there. I don't agree with everything he says, but he's, he's just very insightful on some great issues. And let me just start with this quote, and then we're going to jump in and we're going to look at some things that I think will help. Gratitude as a discipline involves a conscious choice. Watch this. I can choose to be grateful even when my emotions and feelings are steep and are hurt and are resentful. It is amazing how many occasions present themselves in which I can choose gratitude instead of a complaint. It's amazing. And that's, that's where we want to start. And if you've been here for this, this is the third, as I said, this is the third time... I caught myself last week thinking at the end of the uh, third service, thinking, okay, I was kind of repetitive on a few lines about being thankful. You, 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 you go through weird stuff when you do what I do, and you think, well, no, you know, did I say that before? And you, know, and you go back and listen to a CD, which is incredibly painful to do. I just got to tell you, incredibly painful to do. Some people say, you listen to your own messages? I said, yeah. They said, you must be a real egotist. I said, no, quite the, it's, it's the most humbling thing I do. Um, and, and I thought, I'm being repetitious here, but then I thought about this. And I thought, you know, a lot of folks call us the fun church, the happy church, so I've heard the rock and roll church, um, and other things, none of which I'm all that crazy about. But, 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 but if, 
people down the road say, the people that go to Renaissance, those folks, those are some of the most thankful people that I know, then I would say, yeah, that's great. Because thankfulness displays itself in many different ways. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Okay, and I want to show you that from this. Gratitude is a discipline, okay? It is amazing how many occasions present themselves in which I can choose gratitude instead of a complaint. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to look in King David's life at a point of something that he really wants to do that's really good. And he's really got his heart set on this. He's got his expectations set on this. And, and I'm going to show you what happens with this because here, here's, here's, this is the positive way of dealing with disappointments. And, and you've got to see this. This is, David's at a point in his life now where he's kind of sitting back and he's, he's got through some of the hoo-ha of his life and some of the trash and all the other and trying to figure out what he's going to do. And, and all of a sudden it hits him. I'll give you the background here. This comes from First uh, Chronicles chapter 17. Now, when David was settled into his palace, he said, he said to Nathan, Nathan's a, sort of the palace prophet, um, here I am living in this beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of the Lord's covenant, that represents God's presence, it's out in the tent. Nathan replied, go ahead with what you have in mind, for God is with you. David wants to build a temple for God. What could be better? What could be more honorable? That's a great goal, great expectation. I mean, this is, this is a great moment in David's life. I want to do this. Nathan, the prophet, pastor, there are some differences. We won't go into them now. There are some differences in the Old Testament and the New Testament between a prophet and a pastor. Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of differences, actually. But, but for our purposes, we'll just call him the pastor. He had a little more authority than, than we would have today as a pastor because they also sort of helped run the country. I still think it should be that way, but it's not. Um, anyway, anyway, so he goes that, and, and here's what's going to happen. God's going to tell David, come tell Nathan what he's going to tell him, and Nathan's going to have to go tell David. So what's going to happen is Nathan basically, and I'm going to show it to you in just a second, Nathan's going to have to go to David, and he's going to have to say, I got good news and I got bad news. Don't you hate that when people do that to you? That ever happened to you? I got good news, I got bad news. I'm like, I don't want to hear the bad news. Give me the good news and be gone with you. Okay, we're done. But that doesn't always work that way. Anyway, he's, I, got new, I got good news, I got bad news. Here's what happens. Verse 3, same night, God said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, you are not the one to build my temple to live in. No dice, you're not doing it. I've never lived in a temple from the day that I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until now. My home has always been a tent moving from one place to another, and I've never once complained to Israel's leaders, the shepherds of my people. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar temple? That's the bad news. David... You're not the guy. It's not going to happen. Great expectation, great goal, but you're disappointed, buddy. It's not going to happen. Now, here's the good news. Let me just show you the good news on that. He also says, verse 7, Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I chose you to lead my people Israel when you were just a shepherd boy tending your sheep out in the pasture. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've destroyed all your enemies. Now I'll make your name famous throughout the earth. I have provided a permanent homeland for my people Israel, a secure place where they will never be disturbed, but it will be their own land where wicked nations won't oppress them as they did in the past. From the time I appointed judges to rule my people, I will subdue all your enemies. And then he goes on, I'll declare, and I now declare... The Lord will build a house for you. And he's speaking in a metaphorical sense, building a house in terms of building a kingdom. 
that will last forever. For when you die, I will raise up one of your sons. I will make this kingdom strong. He's the one who will build the house and so forth and so forth. Down to verse 14, I will establish him over my dynasty and my kingdom for all time and his throne will be secure forever. Then verse 15, so Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said. David can't do it. There's some good news in this, but the bad news is you can't do it. There's got to be disappointment here. So how does David handle this? This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I know I say that all the time, but um, it, it really is because it just shows you how, how a, a man of God, a man who just is just phenomenal yet is very flawed and has all the issues that we've talked about before, um, you know, had a lot of issues. Uh, he, and if you don't know about some of David's issues, just to mention, I mean, he had a little problem with adultery, had a little problem with murder, had a little problem with lying, had a little problem with just a few little things like that. Not, not you know, um, things like that. So, so yet he's such, and God says he's such a man after his own heart. And, and here we go with this. So how does David respond to this? And here's what he does. He, there are five things. They're very simple movements of thought. Um, um, five things. The first thing he does is he gets alone with God. That's the first thing he does. He just goes and he gets alone with God. Watch what happens. Verse 16. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? Just got alone with God. You ever do that? Been disappointed? Maybe it's something awful. Maybe it's something other people would think, ah, what's the big deal? But you're, you're disturbed greatly. Just go and get along with God and just start talking to God. Now, I don't know. I picture David, I picture David going out maybe into the local arboretum woods, okay? For those of you, I'm sorry, I always have to do that. Um, he goes, I can see him going out into the forest and just like, oh, God. Who am I that you brought me this far? Maybe it's some quiet place that he'd like to go to. I don't know. And I don't know how that looks for you. But I want you to think about that. Maybe that's turning off the radio and just saying, you know, I just, God, I just want to thank you. I want to talk to you. People think you're nuts when they're driving by, but who cares? Maybe that means you take off the headsets just to think, pray. Maybe that means you put on the headsets and put on some kind of music that's very conducive to, to prayer, possibly. Maybe that means you, you do that on the train and you get by yourself and, you know, and just kind of get off to yourself in the corner. Maybe that means you're going on the train, you come back on the train. Maybe that's, maybe that's early in the morning, maybe that's late at night, maybe that's in the middle of the day. I don't know how that looks for you, but I would say it, it needs to happen. And I, I'll tell you who, who, who will benefit the most. It won't be God. It'll be you. And you be careful with this. You know, you know there's, no, there's no template here. When I, when we were, when I was, went back to school to study for the ministry, they had this thing. I don't know where it came from. These people were saying, oh, you've got to get up. Well, we have some budding ministerial students over here. They're doing a paper on us. Do they still think, do they still tell you in school it's, it's really good to get up early and pray? Do they still tell you that? They used to tell us that all the time. They don't tell you guys that. They've progressed some. They're doing a paper on us over here, and, and, and they're critiquing me right now as I speak. God help them all. Um, and, the, and the church, you're being critiqued too. Just want you to know that. It's not just me. Uh, um, anyway, they, they, they would used to tell us, oh, you've got to get up early to pray. I remember this. I mean, just, 
I'm like, get up early and pray. And I'm like, you know, I got a job. I have a full-time job. I'm going to school. I'm married. I have a kid. And, and, and going back to school to study for the ministry. I got to get up early to pray. And I tried it two or three times. And, you know, I may have seen God a few times in my life, but it wasn't early in the morning. You know what I mean? It was one of those kind of deals. And, and it's just like, gee whiz. I, you know, and I felt so unholy because everybody, oh, everybody, I was told everybody prays early. You know, I don't know how that looks for you. Maybe you're one of those people. God bless you. Maybe it's a late night thing for you. I don't, it doesn't matter. It just needs to happen. Get alone with God. That's what David did. Especially when it comes to disappointments. Big ones, little ones. Medium ones. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Reflect on the work of God in your life. Watch this. This is going to be this is a little. It's going to be repetitious with a point that I'm going to show you in a moment, but that's okay. Reflect on the work of God in your life. Watch what happens. Verse 16. Then King David went in. He sat before the Lord. He prayed, "Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, O God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving me a lasting dynasty. You no, watch this. Watch this. Watch this. You speak as though I were someone very great, <laughs> O Lord God. I'm, and the implication, I'm not. And then, and then look, watch verse 18. What more can I say about what you, the way you have honored me? You know what I'm really like. I love that. You know what I'm really like. Some other people think I'm pretty great. God, you know, you know the real me. I love that about God. You don't have to put on airs. You don't have to say, oh, God, here I am. I can hear God say, knock it off, Rich. Just talk to me. Come on. I know you. I know all your stuff. Let's just chat, you know? And he goes on, for my sake, Lord, and according to your will, you have done all these great things and may, have made them known. Reflect, get along with God and reflect on, on his work in your life. For some of you, you got a great history there that you can go back and think about. For some of you, it's a little more new. For some of you, you're still thinking about it. But you know what? If you think long enough, you can still think of some of the things that God has done or is doing even right now in your life. It's the second thing. Love that. Get alone with God. Reflect on the work of God in your life. Third thing, watch this in verse 20. Reflect on God's character. Reflect on God's character. Oh Lord, verse 20. Oh Lord, there is no one like you. There's no other God. We've not even heard of another God like you. You can just hear David crying, you know, just sort of pleading passionately about this. We haven't, we, you know, there's no other God like you. Reflect on the character of God. Now, sometimes... And I've done this with, with friends, and I don't know, the, the motives were always pure, in particular when we were in school and theology classes and so forth. You, you would sometimes, and this is a good thing to do, even though I'm not sure our thing was the, the proper motivation. Do you ever stop and just think about, though, some of the attributes of God? And just start thinking about, what's my favorite attribute of God? Maybe it's God's love. God loves me no matter what. It's unconditional. Even when I'm a jerk, he loves me. Maybe it's, maybe it's in God's grace. God's just, he's got unlimited grace. Maybe it's on his forgiveness. I always needed that a lot myself, so that was always one of my favorites. Maybe it's on his, you know, one guy I remember saying one time, his favorite characteristic was God's justice. And I said, wow, why? And he said, because I know that someday God will make right all the unjust things that happen in the world. And I'm like, that's pretty good. You know, you, you need to read. 
starting with the Bible. There are some other books as well that you can, that you can find to talk about that. But just to reflect on God's character, well, that's going to make you one thankful little puppy, let me just tell you, because it's just amazing. Fourth thing, reflect on God's corporate blessings. What? God blesses my corporation? Well, Hopefully, but I'm, I'm talking about bigger picture than that. Watch what happens here. Be careful with this. And I'm going to make a few comments about this because it can be a little confusing. So in, in verse 20, it says, Oh, Lord, there's no one like you. There's no other God. We've never even heard of a God like you. What other nation on earth is like Israel? What other nation, O oh God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you rescued your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations that stood in their way. You chose Israel to be your people forever, and you, O oh Lord, have become their God. Okay, a couple things real quick here, and I don't want to get too deep into, into theology and dispensationalism, if you know what that is, or and if you don't, don't worry about it. Um, but, but here's the issue. Um, he is, first of all, Israel is a special place. Okay, Israel's a special nation. I believe that according to the Bible, Israel's a special nation because that's where God decided and chose to use that nation and that people to bring the Messiah through Jesus, uh, to bring Jesus through Israel, both the lineage as well as the, 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 the physical place of Israel. So it's a special place. And what you can't do, and, and here's one of the things, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot ever compare the Old Testament Israel as God's chosen nation with America and the New Testament. You can't do that. I'd like to do that. Number one, that's replacement theology. That's garbage. You can't do that. Um, Number two, you can't do that because think about it. (laughs) I mean, America was founded in in 1776. we're, We're talking you know, at least 1,700 years after uh, the New Testament was written. You know, we have America. So, so you can't, that, that doesn't work. But here's what you can do, and you can do this by application. You can thank God for living in a land that is blessed by him. You can thank God for living in a country that was founded on principles. Be careful with this. I'm not going to say a Christian nation. You get into all kinds of semantics and all the other kind of stuff. I have my own beliefs about that. That's not important. I, do, I, I, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to history. I've read a lot of the, a lot of the stuff, that the, the, the founding fathers and so forth. And, and Jefferson, he's all over the place theologically. He was this, he was that, he was that. Benjamin Franklin, he was all over the place. And, and Adams, he was a strong believer, more Puritan. Um, but, but here's the one thing that you have to say about our founding fathers, and one of the reasons, at least, why our country is blessed, uh, I think, above all other nations in the world, because we're the only country founded on basic Judeo-Christian ethics that are grounded in the Old and the New Testaments. Honor, you know, honor people. A place where you can, where you can worship God any way you want. And, and it's against the law to threaten somebody who worships God differently than you. That's pretty special. And people aren't trying to kill you because they may be, but they're not, it's not legal in this country who are trying to kill you because of how you worship or, or, or what your religion is. My point is this, reflect on God's blessing on us as a land. And you may not like a lot of things about certain politics or about this, that's fine and dandy. But the one thing that you do have to, I think, appreciate is the freedom that we have in this country. And thank God for it, because it came from God. It came at a great price, but it came from God, ultimately. So reflect on God's corporate. And I could go, I could really get off on that and, and go more and more. I'm, I'm, I'm patriotic. I'm the son of a World War II veteran. And, um, 
And so I'm, you know, I was raised where, you know, I would see my dad literally if a flag touched the ground, he would go pick it up. And it took him, it took him, it took him until I was 45 years old before I really found out what he did in World War II. Uh, is, is that type of thing. So I, I was raised with that type of a thing. And, and so I'm, I'm a bit patriotic and I realize that. But the one thing that I appreciate from our history is this, these principles, these founding principles by, by a theologically diverse bunch of people. I mean, very diverse, but with one common thing, a reverence for God and an understanding of the Judeo-Christian ethics that are grounded in the Old and the New Testament. Thank God for that. Thank God that you, you know, you didn't. What did you do? What did you do to be born here? You were blessed by God. That's what you did. You know, what we call the DNA lottery type of thing. You, you were blessed by God, okay? So, so deal with that one. Reflect on God's corporate blessing. I thought about that many times, particularly in my travels in East, uh, Eastern Europe and so forth. When you see that and you think, I could have been born here. I wouldn't know what freedom is. I wouldn't, wouldn't have the appreciation for some things that I have. And that's just a blessing of God. And pray for the other places as well. So there you go. Get along with God. Reflect on the work of God in your life. Reflect on God's character. Reflect on God's corporate blessing of your nation, where you live. Fifth thing, last thing. This is going to be a little bit repetitious of number two. And that is this. Reflect on God's individual blessings. Watch what he does here. Now, O Lord, do as you promised concerning me and my family. May it be a promise that will last forever and may your name be established and honored forever so that the world will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel and may the dynasty of your servant David be established in your presence. Five things to kind of help push you toward an attitude of gratitude when it comes to the the disappointments of life. Get along with God. Reflect on the work of God in your life. Reflect on God's character. Reflect on his corporate blessings and and just reflect on his individual blessings as well. I want to go back to that quote that I gave you earlier. Gratitude as a discipline involves a conscious choice. I can choose to be grateful even when my emotions and feelings are steep and hurt and resentful. It's amazing how many occasions present, present themselves. It's amazing how many occasions you do have which I can choose gratitude instead of a complaint. Many things determine our quality of life. Many things. One of those things is how we handle disappointment in life and the big stuff and the little stuff, whether it's my health, whether it's my wealth or the lack of, whether it's my job, fluctuating income, or, or, or the mate that's become something that I didn't really bargain for in my marriage. Maybe that's good and maybe that's not so good. Or maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's just that person that I look and see in the mirror sometimes and don't recognize. And not just because of the wrinkles. You know, many things determine our quality of life. But how we handle these, these disappointments, these unmet expectations will be key. Speaking of keys, the greatest key, and, and this, 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 is gonna be a, this might be a little mouthful for you, but, but stay with me. The greatest key to unlocking a life of fulfillment, a modicum of joy, 
a modicum of joy, a, a large degree of certain positivity, positiveness. Positivity is not a word, but you understand my point. Okay, the greatest key, I'm going to read this part because this is really good. This is really good. I don't often write brilliant stuff. This is brilliant. The greatest key, to un- did you get the notes? This is brilliant stuff. Write that down, okay? Um, the greatest key to unlocking a life of fulfillment, a modicum of joy, a large degree of certain positiveness in life is a constant awareness that I'm pretty much a certified, registered, card-carrying, deserving-of-hell sinner. Deserve hell or some semblance thereof. Did you get that? I'm pretty much a certified, registered, card-carrying sinner, deserving of hell or some semblance thereof. You say, no, Rich. You know me. That's, I'm, I'm a good person. You are, and I know all of you that I know, and I know most of you, you're all good people. You do some good things. By, God's, by, by people's standards, you're good people. By God's standards on our best day, when we start counting the internal along with the external, by God's standards, on our best day, we, we can't make it. We can't make the grade. You know, that's why we're all basically card-carrying, certified, registered sinners. And, and here's the issue about that. You say, well, you know, I, I am a good person. Okay, you are a good person. I'm not, you say, I'm not that bad. You're not that bad. But you're also one, and I've got to include me in this. You're also one. This is another brilliant line. Uh, the, 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 um, you're also one who, who's, who's a complaining, whiny, self-absorbed, petty, gossipy, grudge-carrying, judgmental, spiritual midget who sometimes blurs the line between right and wrong with some ridiculous rationalization. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it's true. <laughs> um, we do that, don't we? Let me go through that a little slower. Complaining, whiny, self-absorbed, petty, gossipy, grudge-carrying, judgmental, spiritual midget. And who hasn't blurred the line between right and wrong by some ridiculous rationalization? Who hasn't done that? We've all done that. And that's why we need Jesus. Because he came and lived and suffered and died. To save us from all that. The old saying back in the, I think in the 40s, long before my time. You know, Jesus saves. And they used to always have signs, Jesus saves. And, and it became kind of a, kind of a pseudo credo, a credo for, the, for, for Christian things. And there used to be irreverent jokes about it in, in school and seminary and Bible college and stuff. Jesus saves. Where does he save? The first federal. Oh, okay. You know, and then you make irreverent comments like that about it. But the truth is, what does Jesus save? Jesus saves from, from people who are gossipy, grudge-carrying, judgmental, spiritual midgets. That's who Jesus, that's Jesus. He saves us from that. That's why Jesus came to give us a much bigger picture, to give us an understanding of life, to give us an understanding. Disappointments hurt. They do really hurt. Sometimes they hurt really bad. Sometimes not as bad. But nonetheless, God can use those as blessings in life, in our lives, as we understand we have God. Now, here's, here's the key, and here's the key. When one understands that, get this, and, and we gotta stop. When, when one understands that, you become the most grateful individual on the face of the earth because you realize, you know what? I, just like David, you know who I really am, God, and you, and you love me so much anyway. Forgive me for so much. It makes you the most grateful puppy on the face of the earth. You're like the proverbial puppy dog with a wagging tail because you're like, God, I'm so thankful for what you have and can and will do in my life. That'll make you grateful. May God 
give us that attitude of gratitude, to coin, to borrow that phrase, that will keep us internally and eternally grateful for him and what he has done, is doing, can do, and will do in your lives and in mine. Let's pray together. Lord, we are humbled by your grace, by your love, by your undeserving, our undeserving love that you have for us. We don't deserve it, but you, you give it to us freely. For some of us, God, that means a continual thank you for what you've done. For some of us, we're still thinking about that. But we thank you for getting us in the place to even think about that, depending on where our spiritual journey happens to be. We thank you for your love and for your grace and for how that works for all of us as we, in our ways, in our times, come to you or think about coming to you in a way that will be honoring to you and certainly profitable for us. We thank you for that. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.